greet each one in Jesus' name and echo what Todd said, uh, and amen to Todd's devotions, and I uh, certainly appreciate it. He certainly laid it out there. Amen to what he had said, and I also welcome everyone here, and uh, I was just thinking, if you're here and you're a visitor that visits here regularly, or if you're um, here, I would like to say, when the time is right, when God prompts you, uh, there's a welcome here, and uh, we would love for you to join us at the table. But we want you to be here this morning, and we don't want you to feel awkward, and we want you to ponder the things that we ponder and uh, walk beside us. There's a purpose for the bread and the wine, and we want to look at a few of those this morning. There's a reason for the bread and the cup, and this morning we want to experience them again, and experience them deeply. We don't take it for granted. We don't want it watered down. We don't want just a memorized, automatic thing. But as we come before the Lord again, we want to experience all the meanings that He has, um, that He has attached to it. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul speaking, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant. Jesus' words, a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And there's just, there's a lot of things that enter into our minds as we ponder what it was that Jesus did for us. But this morning, uh, there's four of them that are obvious that come to me. And the first thing that I like to look at is it's remembering what he did that we just the, the thing that it motivates us to and what communion is about is that we, we remember nothing good have I done to deserve God's own son I'm not worthy of the scars in his hand yet he chose the road to Calvary to die in my stead why he loved me I just can't understand roll back the curtain of memory now and then Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Remember, I'm human and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. I think the first thing that uh, we're confronted with when we look at the table sitting up front is to remember what was shared already this morning. The, the, the pain that was on our behalf, what he went through. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. When we partake, we're reminded of the dramatic way that Jesus' life and death affected each one of us. For us, it's, uh, it was a personal sacrifice that he made for each one of us individually. And like Todd shared uh, there's a fairness, there's a justice that needs to happen here that sometimes we don't quite 
understand why these things have to be like they have to be. But we're born with a sense of justice. Uh, a boy isn't, a young child isn't very old at all till you hear him say, that's not fair. And often it's our own good that we have in mind when we uh, search that sense of fairness or, or struggle with that sense of fairness. Self-serving. But the bread and the wine remind us that his death wasn't fair. He died for our sins, not mistakes that he made. Chuck Colson talks about a group of Americans that were uh, in World War II and they were in a prisoner camp. And they were made to work really hard every day. And they were given tools and shovels and they'd dig all day and they'd come back and they'd lay their shovels down and they count their shovels to make sure that everybody brought their tools back. They were responsible for them. And one day I, there was 20 prisoners standing in a, in a row and the guard counted the shovels and came up with 19. And he turned to them angrily and he said, which one of you didn't bring your shovel back? And there was silence. And he pulled out his gun and he said, I'm going to shoot five people if the person who didn't bring their shovel back doesn't step forward. And there was a couple moments of silence while people struggled with this here. And pretty soon, a 19-year-old boy stepped front with his head bowed. And the guard took him to the side and shot him in the head. And he said to the rest of these people, let this be a lesson. Remember to be more careful than this person was. When the guard left, can you imagine the feeling around there? They counted the shovels again, and there were 20 shovels. The guard had miscounted. But I wondered the feeling of the other soldiers as they stood around the body of the boy, 19-year-old boy, who in a flash looked at his life and he said, he just stepped front with his head bowed and gave his life so the others could live. And I had to wonder how it would feel to know that he reviewed his possibilities, his future wife, his education, his new pickup truck, uh, things that he could have had that he gave up for the life of his friends there. And as remarkable as that story is, and it gets pretty close, but it doesn't quite yet lay out what Jesus did for us. John says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And that's a remarkable story. But it doesn't quite come what we're called to, to remember here this morning as we look at this. Because you took the shovel. You did take the shovel. You were guilty of that there. Romans says, For one will 
scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were not the innocent friend that in, the, in those 20 soldiers. We had stolen the shovel, and yet he died for us, every one of us. And in the Old Testament, I just so love the way this guy uh, puts, puts it together in words. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We stole the shovel. Communion, first of all and foremost, causes us, is all about looking back and remembering that for our wrong, he stepped forward and bowed his head. But remember, I'm human. So often, we go on with life as if this didn't happen, and we just kind of uh, get used to the things that are around us. But remember, I'm human, and humans forget. And that's why Jesus implemented this. Communion is about reminding us. Number two, communion, I believe, as I pondered this again, communion demands a response from each one of us. Uh, is a challenge from every one of us as we sit here this morning. It, it demands a response. The gift is unfair. And in our imperfect illustration, can you imagine how the 19 soldiers, if they were ever released, if they ever made it back home, would have a bond? But how, could, how do you respond to that kind of a gift? In Galatians, Paul says, And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that, I believe, is the response that we need when we remember this. Isn't that the response of every Christian that realizes what it was, what for gift that God gave to us there. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love or sorrow meet, our thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, 
that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The sacrifice we are commemorating this morning makes a challenge or a demand on us. You can't just look at this and understand this and grasp it in your heart and say, well, that's nice, and go on with your life. You can't, you can't come away from a communion service with that kind of feeling. When Jesus and his disciples were together, uh, the first time that the Lord's Supper was, and it was kind of segueing from unleavened bread, Passover, over into the New Testament, the New Dispensation, or the New Covenant, that, uh, and the Lord's Supper. And they, when they were sitting around there, uh, in John 13, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say unto you that one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after the other, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who dippeth his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And he goes on to say how that needs to happen. And we know the story. It was Judas that betrayed him. And we don't know why for sure. You know, maybe it was for political reasons that Judas wasn't quite on board with the things that Jesus was saying. They seemed too far out or something. Uh, Maybe it was for the money. Uh, Maybe it was for a private reason uh, that he was trying to think of there. Uh, Maybe he was saying, you notice the difference when he said, Is it I, Lord? Is it I, I, Rabbi? The rest said, Is it I, Lord? Uh, and, and Judas said, is it I, Rabbi? Maybe it was something in that little terminology there that he says, I'm okay to have you as a teacher, and I'm okay to have you as a counselor, but I don't want you the CEO in my life. I don't want you calling in the sh- all the shots, because I want to do things my way. And I recognize who you are. I understand that you're Jesus, and there's some parts of this I can give you, teacher, Is it I, Rabbi? But I don't want to call you Lord. I don't know what it was. But the communion challenges us, I think, in all of our own lives. And the correct question to answer is, is it I, Lord? Where am I struggling? Where am I uh, not stepping up to the plate or not letting you, Lord, of my life are, are letting you fix the things. He said He can make us free and He can make us free indeed. But sometimes we withhold things. And in some of your testimonies were, I'm, I'm struggling with this kind of thing and I'm struggling with that kind of thing. And it makes, communion makes me think about that. Because of what He all did for. But He wants you at the table. He, he wants you to come to the table and He wants you to remember Him. But He's the person that had 99 sheep that were there, but He reached out to the hurting one. And uh, when, when we come up against this, we realize 
that there's nothing we can do or nothing that we've did that we deserve this. But it's just by the blood of Jesus that we're saved. And that's why we're all here. That's why we're all sitting here remembering this morning. And there could be a, a part of it that we're saying, like Judas possibly was, I want to do things my way. I recognize Jesus is Jesus, but I want to do things my way. The third thing I think communion is about, and I don't know where my time is for sure. I usually do it quarter of, but that's a little ways away. (laughs) The third thing that communion is about is you and I, we do life together. And I so love the growing spirit here at Northwoods, where where there's... uh, a fellowship and uh, a leaning on one another and and more collaboration and love for one another. And I, I really feel like it reminds me of Acts there where they say, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all men. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. I think in communion, always in the Bible, when there's communion, there was there was fellowship, there was a there was a group, and we're made after God's own image. And it seems like a lot of things that we do that we remember are around meals. When the family gets together, it's around meals and so forth. And in the Old Testament, they had this. When there was uh, something established, a covenant established, they would seal the deal with a meal. That's why at weddings, when there's that's a covenant, not a contract, but a covenant. And when that's established, everybody gets together and they do a meal to seal that their uh, contract, to seal, I mean, that covenant. And there is a corporate acts aspect. Uh, in communion that draws us all together. Uh, it's a time of coming together and recognize the thing that we have in common. We have in common a young soldier that stepped front. With his, We have the same Savior. We have the same freedom. We have the same salvation. And we feel a bond to one another. Just like those 19 soldiers that were left after that young fellow gave his life for them. Just like them... They had a common bond, I'm sure, among them. And you and I have a, a common bond, and communion brings that out in me. I mean, uh, the corporate part of it. Lester preached often about the corporate aspect of communion. A.W. Tozer wrote, A local church is a community of ransom men, a minority group, a colony of heavenly souls dwelling apart on earth. A division of soldiers on a foreign soil. A band of reapers working under the direction of the Lord of harvest. A flock of sheep following a good shepherd. A brotherhood of like-minded men. A visible representative of an invisible God. The Christian is a happy one who has found a place where he can worship and serve 
and labor and support. And there should be no place else on earth that he gives more loyalty and support than the, fellow, than the fellowship of the brotherhood. If our, if our alliances, we feel our alliances more, if we have more affinity to the people in our work group or in our people that agree politically what we do, our people that have the same hobbies we do, if we have more comrade or more affinity with them, a warning light should go off on our dash. There should be nowhere that we give more uh, support to, more loyalty, more devotion. And the cup reminds us that we do life together and that we are in this together. Yeah, we get on each other's nerves once in a while. Uh, that's going to change when we get to heaven, I think. Uh, but we pull together and we support each other and we love each other. And communion brings that aspect around. And in closing, and the fourth one about communion is about looking forward. It's about remembering back and it's about the present and how, but it's also about looking forward. It's about anticipation. The angel said to me in Revelations 9, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to have another communion there. Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom in heaven. You know, today as we share the cup, we do it with joy, but we also do it with a tear in our eye because the sin that he has died for is still not put to rest in the world. We live in a broken world. We're affected by it. We're affected with pain. We're affected with loss and broken relationships. The Bible says there's going to come a day when he's going to wipe those tears away. And in that promise, there's an assumption that there's going to be a couple of tears as we go along here below. My dad passed away um, a couple years ago. He was in a home. And you could see in his eyes that he wasn't clear thinking. He didn't know his grandchildren. And most of the time, he didn't know the children my siblings. One of my brothers was in there and he said dad was kind of restless and kind of just moving around and he couldn't communicate anymore. He was long past that there uh, time. And my brother said, dad, do you need something? And of course he couldn't tell him and he tried to understand. And then my brother said, probably for the third time, Dad, do you need something? And just for an instant, Dad cleared up. And his eyes lost that lost look. And he said, yeah, I need heaven. 
And that's, that's where we're at this morning as we sojourn here. Uh, this week I was up at work just for a bit and I met Marlon out at the dumpster and he's been going through some very difficult times. And uh, we chatted and I said, Marlon, how are you doing? And he said, I just want to lay down and curl up and die. And so there's tears here with our joy, mixed with our joy. But we're going to go home soon. Communion points us front and we anticipate heaven, where our smiles will not be through tears. And our joy won't be mixed with pain. And the silver lining is all there will be. There won't be clouds behind it. No pain. Someday. There's a lot of medical issues and struggles that we have in a congregation this side. No pain. No disappointments, no broken hydraulic hoses, no 20 below zero, no DOT department. All the things that fill your day that you struggle with will go away and there won't be disappointments. But this is part of remembering who we are and who bought us with a price. Come home, it's supper time. The shadows lengthen fast. We're going home at last. Let's bow our head for prayer. Lord, Lord, we just call on you this morning to remember us. We're human and we forget. And we need you to remind us. You suffered for us. You were bruised for our iniquities. As we partake, we ask that you would minister to each heart. In Jesus' worthy name, amen.